Oh, how's it going? Great, now that my relaxation levels have stabilized. Oh, those assholes. I don't know how you put up with them. No, neither do I. Mm -hmm. I would have quit. Welcome back to Quaid and Full, the podcast with all the Fox to give about actor Dennis Quaid. I'm executive associate producer Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with associate executive producer Jeb Lund. Cut. <laughs> and please welcome returning guest, production executive associate John Ramos. Uh, stand over there. <laughs> and first time guest, executive production associate Tara Ariano. Hello, Tara. We are already over budget. <laughs> it's it's true welcome back to quaid in full it's uh been a while and i think we've never had this big a group this will be very exciting today we are talking about 1990s postcards from the edge but before we do that i think we may have a little pod business let's see if anyone anywhere <laughs> has listened to the denissance jeb have you been able, in the last uh, week or so since we last spoke, to listen to the dulcet tones of the Denissance? You know, I wanted to, I really wanted to, but my cell phone was confiscated by federal law enforcement after I occupied the Capitol. So, okay. You know, what are you going to do? Although I didn't, I met a lot of fans. So, okay. Yeah. So he's not on parlor, is what you're saying? <laughs> I was wondering when that horn helmet you had was going to get busted out. So. It's Lund is a perfectly Nordic name. It's got nothing to do with my my fondness for Nazi death metal. That's... John, I believe that you had not managed to sample the Denissons when last we spoke in this context. Have you changed that status? Well, I really was going to this time. Um and then, you know, I got through the movie and I was thinking this will be a great compliment to it. And then I looked at the title again. It was Postcards from the Edge. And that made me think, over the edge, isn't that your address from my so-called life? And I just <laughs> went down in my so-called life rabbit hole and didn't have time. I think that's a perfectly legitimate excuse. Um, narrator, she thinks it's, everything's a perfectly legitimate excuse. Uh, it's, Tara, it's better than yeah. where I thought it was going. I thought you were going to be like, I just sat and watched the Zooropa video for like a whole day. <laughs> I thought it was going to be that uh, movie from 1979 with Matt Dillon that's basically Village of the Damned, but with teenagers and Cheap Trick. <laughs> no? <laughs> Tara, did you manage to get uh, the Denissons in your ear holes or no? Well, I don't know if you're going to want to edit this out because I'm going to ruin your bit, but I did listen to the rest of the, to the Denissance. Ooh. I listened to two episodes, in fact, of the Denissance, two non-consecutive non episodes because I wanted to get an idea of the range. So do you want me to tell you about it or not? I, do, I would love to know which episodes and uh, how you felt. Okay, well, I watched, I, I watched, I listened to his episode with Dr. Drew Pinsky. Okay. <laughs> from July. Sure. And then oh, I listened no. to his episode with Dr. Anthony Fauci from September, which is, as of this recording, the last episode of the Denissons to date and maybe forever, because that's from September and there hasn't been one since. Huh. Yeah, not a lot's okay. happened, though. Since then, mm, he, he did say in the Dr. Fauci episode that he was about to leave like that day to go and start making a movie in Oklahoma. So that might be why that he's just too busy. Yeah. I have a question about the Pinsky episode. Is it pretty much just like Dennis Quaid asking like what this thing on his dick is? <laughs> no, it's it's like a lot of um, questions and bad information about coronavirus, which, by the way, as we now know, many months later, Dr. Drew would test positive for. So that's kind of ironic to listen to now in January, which is when I listen to it. Um, yeah, he gives a lot of very wrong information and and uh, conspiracy mongering and also points to you know, some research that he thinks is interesting by Charles Murray, who is a uh. not an epidemiologist and B is a eugenicist. But like there's a lot of really fucked up stuff that Dr. Yeah. Drew is promulgating and that Dennis Quaid is encouraging him to uh, go off on. And then I guess the Dr. Fauci episode is him like trying to pull it back and prove that he's like not a wacko. And he's, oh. you know, 
respectful of Dr. Fauci and not so crazy in that one. And like that one is fine. And Dr. Fauci is nice to him, which is like more than he deserves. But yeah, it was a real journey. I almost also listened to his episode with Mike Lindell, the My Pillow guy. But then I thought, <laughs> I, I get it. So if you want to ask me anything about the Denisons, I'm I'm here for it. Oh God! I mean, since we're here, what's what's his interviewing style like? He's not so informed. I mean, at least in the Doctor Drew one, he came in with a lot of ideas that he sort of seemed like he wanted Doctor Drew to confirm, which he did. Um, but he also, uh, no one has told him that there are things that you can do in a conversation with a person in real life that don't really translate in the podcast medium. Like, for example, he does a lot of poignant grunting that in a conversation you might think, "Okay, well, that's this person (laughs) letting me know non-verbally he is paying attention to me. But on a podcast just sounds disgusting. Like he's just a lot of him being like, "Mm," like, stop it, edit it out. And I now know from listening to this and the Tori and Jenny 90210 podcast, like apparently no one is editing the celebrity podcast. Like this is a national problem that we're just not talking about, (laughs) apparently. But yeah, it's uh, it's that's that's an issue with his with his interview style, which is that it's it's gross in that respect. I wonder if you've identified a systemic problem where like actors like basically still don't know what podcasts are. They know like mm-hmm. they know that podcasts are a thing that people like now, but that's the yep. extent of the knowledge. So. Right. Um, well, this yeah, is sort of. Mm-hmm. What I was wondering, or I was going to mention the Tori and Jenny podcast um, earlier when you said that there weren't any new episodes when, it, you know, my first instinct was like, oh, he realized that podcasting is actually work and kind yeah. of a pain in the ass and he doesn't need to do it and he isn't going to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If that's the case, I salute him. He should yeah. stop because it's bad. <laughs> it's oh a bad show. Like, I really <laughs> hope that the CEO who records everything from inside a corrugated pipe is like okay you know because he seemed <laughs> it seemed like the denissance was going to be a pretty big deal for him he didn't have a mm. whole lot going going on otherwise uh, right well yeah i mean you'd think he'd have moved out of his um culvert <laughs> at least when the rains came <laughs> yeah right yeah i guess not yeah i mean i have i have a lot of questions about the denissance but uh, i got um I got 90 seconds into the Fauci episode and then um, I was distracted by the arrival of ceiling tile and I never got back to it. Um, Mm -hmm. Should I or no? No, you're not going to learn anything that you don't already know. It's fine. You can skip it. Okay. I mean, Mm -hmm. I already have been marveling for many months at the ability of Dr. Fauci to not just murder everyone around him. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I don't I don't think I would be surprised by that. Mm-hmm. At least, Jeb, any other queries? No, I mean, like I said in the previous episode, uh, the the really, you know, grindingly annoying thing I'm going to do this season is is listen to all of them. And then we're going to do like we're going to fisk them. We're just going to like fine grain through it mm-hmm. um, over <laughs> okay. like I would guess like two, three seasons actually starting now. So. You know, if you feel okay. like you missed out in this discussion because we, we like maybe we took it off air, like don't worry, it's the rest of the podcast. <laughs> this is a real one. I would love to see you try. I would love yeah. it. I, I actually had this idea that I would like do a, like an annotation of like a single chapter of one of like Sarah Palin's book of like mm-hmm. I'm going to go through and fisk this, and I got through like five pages and I'd written like six thousand words, and I was like, yeah. no. no, citation needed five thousand times in like two pages. <laughs> <laughs> it's by Sarah Palin and Ibid. Anyway, um, yeah. yeah like, I mean, well, I'll se- I'll send you the notes that I took because I did. Um, if you want them, but uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm here. F- I'm here from the past to yeah. warn your, your future selves. Don't don't do it. <laughs> I will take you. Will be my Virgil, and I will venture into this underworld. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, well, Tara, I, thank you for being luck. the uh, the person in the business school group who actually did the work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did don't. wonder if Sarah would assume that I, knowing that this segment was going to be here, would assume that I would do this. 
I actually thought about no, that. No, I too. assumed <laughs> that you would not and that you would c- come prepared with a bit about how you didn't because literally anything else would be a preferable activity. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I thank you for your service. <laughs> a service I provide is the plot summary for the film that we're actually talking about today. Shall we pry ourselves off the Denisons to talk about it? Absolutely. Please. I, I thought so. All right, here is the plot summary, helpfully written by Jeremy Perkins of the IMDb. What's this movie again? <laughs> Postcards from the Edge. Oh, okay. Right. Just so, delete these not notes. Sure, not sure what you prepared, but we're going <laughs> ahead with this one. <laughs> Substance-addicted Hollywood actress Suzanne Vale is on the skids. After a spell at a detox center, her film company insists, as a condition of continuing to employ her, that she live with her mother, Doris Mann, who was once a star and now a champion drinker. Such a setup is bad news for her as she has struggled for years to get out of Doris's shadow, who still treats her like a child. I got some notes, Jeremy. Despite these problems, and further ones involving the men in her life, she can begin to see the funny side of her situation, and it also starts to occur to her that not only do daughters have mothers, mothers do too. (sighs) Well, yes and no. This was directed by Mike Nichols. The script was by Carrie Fisher. It was based on her memoir, Postcards from the Edge. This, um is one of several movies that for some reason, all at around the same time, I happened to see the movie while I was in the middle of the book and it didn't go well for me. So I don't think I had seen this since seeing it in the theater. And I was really pleasantly surprised. I thought it held up quite well. Uh, John, was that your experience or were your notes less fond? It had definitely been uh, quite some time since I had seen it, too. So, you know, I suppose I was coming to it with pretty fresh eyes as well. There were a lot of parts that I really liked. I do think overall it's really hard to put my finger on. I feel like the story is just lacking one element that would make it, you know, really cohesive or better. And I'm not sure what it is. If it's just like kind of the glossing over of the addiction. I'm not really sure. I did not have as fond a reaction, though, I have to say, though. Okay. Um, We'll get into contemporary reviews in a second. Um, Several of which mentioned that the addiction seemed like this catalyst that was like not dug into far enough. Uh, Tara, I don't know if you agree with that. Uh, Yeah, I do. It does seem like something they sort of pick up and put down other than a brief moment toward the end where there's like it gestures towards maybe a relapse of a sort and then it doesn't really go anywhere. But I didn't mind... I didn't mind the lack of story. I was I was content to sit in it as a kind of character study. My main I, I, I love this movie. It's a it's a fave of mine. And I probably haven't seen it in 10 years before revisiting it for this. But I uh, did notice this time. I, I do feel like Meryl Streep is kind of miscast for a Carrie Fisher. Avatar. I agree. I couldn't agree more. Actually, I think that's part of my problem. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think she's, of course, she's not bad. Like, she's good. She's Meryl Streep. Um, I mean, I think she makes of of the role what she can, but she's she's ultimately just not a great fit. And especially given, like, how amazing Shirley MacLaine is, and, and I do have, think they have good chemistry together, I, I was sort of distracted a tiny bit thinking of who might have been uh, better cast. And so I, I have a short list of possible options, but we can get into that later. Um, but yeah, I, I, I agree about the addiction, but I don't so much mind that it's a bit thin on plot. Yeah, I, I didn't mind that either. Um, once it was pointed out by these reviews, I couldn't deny that that was the case. But I also felt like that was perhaps a misapprehension of what we were all really doing yeah. here. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeb, was this your first contact with the property yeah actually it was um this came out when my mom and i would obsessively go to see movies you know at a theater not far from us and i think we just caught some uncharacteristically negative reviews but we stayed away and for whatever reason in my head it's like well this is not a good movie and so i was really pleasantly surprised like tara i i enjoyed it more as like just spending time with these characters i mm-hmm. Knowing it was a memoir, I kind of figured, well, this is going to be more of a shaggy dog story. And so I just I, I enjoyed it very much. The the addiction thing, 
I completely understand that criticism, but showing addiction as it actually is and withdrawal and recovery is so unpleasant that they're never yeah. really going to do it. So yeah. at, at that point, I'm like, okay, I mean, you, you, you selected this tone and you didn't really, you know, you didn't betray the kind of like, we're not going to be too mired in this for like a later kind of third act. By the way, here's tragedy. It's, it's all kind of, it's leavened throughout. And so I, I took it on its terms. Yeah, I get that too. And I'm not, you know, I certainly would not have wanted a, uh, you know, super depressing foray into that. It's just the extent of her, her going into rehab seemed to be like her, like shrug her shoulders, be like, sure, I'll do a rehab, like basically. And that's like it, <laughs> you know? So, I mean, she has one moment where she like kind of almost relapses and doesn't, and that's like the end of it basically. And they, they put more focus on the mother actually, which is also some also more interesting from a character standpoint so it's not a huge criticism for me it's just like a little bit like okay it's so far probably removed from what actually happened in real life that it it seems very tangential but well and i mean carrie fisher wrote both so you you have to figure that that was intentional that she was like this is not interesting right right so i'm gonna focus on what is I really enjoyed it, but I also, I got the distinct feeling that this was like, literally everybody is in this movie, and uh, (laughs) that you just got the sense, both in scenes with Meryl Streep and Shirley MacLaine, but also just generally, like, Anthony Heald shows up to be this, like, (laughs) unbelievably haircutty haircut for, like, 90 seconds. He's extremely healthy and he's perfect but it's also like everybody was invited to go do a mike nichols picture and they you know you don't say no to that yeah yeah like michael onkeen has like five seconds of screen time where he's tied to a cactus and i think we basically never see him again <laughs> yeah and then no he has like one scene later where he's like oh that whore and then yeah. that's how she figures out that yeah dennis quaid is a big hoe but i was content to watch that like every now and then you know you're watching actors like sort of acting at and past each other and really having fun with it like two legends like doing doing what they do and i was fine with that i think that perhaps professional reviewers were a little frustrated with the on paper lack of substance but it was a good time i thought I love All right, it. let's let's hear a couple of snippets of the contemporary reviews, and then I would like to get into Tara's casting list. Um, here's <laughs> Dessen Howe for the Washington Post. Quote, but for all the jagged, witty chatter, and Streep and McLean do their tragic comic damnedest with it, Postcards provides the most rudimentary and jury-rigged of outcomes. It involves a hospital bedside visit in which daughter plays mama for a while, and one of those triumphs as mom watches in the audience. Maybe a nice pitch for familial reconciliation, but does anyone remember there was, like, this drug addiction problem once? End quote. I mean, again, yes, the ending is a little pat. There's, like, a big song and dance number at the end that somehow does not involve Dennis Quaid, even though, Jeb, <laughs> what was present? Zydeco. Oh. Once again. <laughs> Enough Zydeco, right? <laughs> All right. Let's 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 go to Roger Ebert, who also had an issue with the um, shallowness of the addiction side of things. Quote, Streep is very funny in the movie. She does a good job of catching the knife-edged throwaway lines that have become Carrie Fisher's special speciality Uh, okay (laughs) and director mike nichols captures a certain kind of difficult reality in his scenes on movie sets where the actress is pulled this way and that by people offering helpful advice everyone wants a piece of a star even a falling one what's disappointing about the movie is that it never really delivers on the subject of recovery from addiction There are some incomplete, dimly seen, unrealized scenes in the rehab center, and then desultory talk about off-screen AA meetings, but the film's preoccupied with gossip. We're encouraged to wonder how many parallels there are between the Streep and McLean characters and their originals, Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. End quote. Yeah, I think I'm coming at that criticism in a different way, though. I think they could have just cut the scenes in the the hospital entirely. Just start it like when she, like, yeah, when she has to live with her mother. (laughs) That's good enough of an inciting incident, basically, for me. 
it doesn't fall prey to this kind of criticism where you you have this promise of an addiction story and then it turns into something else. I love that it's a small story, you know, that it's a, yeah. you know, familial and just, again, letting people sit in their, in their relationship and their on-screen chemistry, so to speak. But just why have it at all? Why give a CCH pounder, you know, for like a scene <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then that's the end again. You know, it's not a, we're not in an Altman film. Yeah. I kind of disagree because I, I feel like the the bookend scenes of Gene Hackman at the beginning and the end are sort of they're small in their way, too, but they're effective where <laughs> that's true. You know, she's, I kind of forgot she's about how up it his, started. She, yeah. Yeah. She's fucking up his movie at the beginning. And he has, you know, that he, he sort of switches from, you know, he's encouraging and he's warm. And then he's like kicking her stand in, who is also her drug dealer, like off the set in a <laughs> very aggressive, but, you know, reasonable way, because he has this idea for a very ambitious shot and it's not working because she's too fucked up. And then at the end, we see him again because she has to come back and loop that scene. And she like this is sort of that that's the moment where she has to confront what she was actually like and she actually and she sees it which she hadn't done before and i think that's maybe like one of my favorite scenes that doesn't involve shirley mclean because she's she's really chastened by it like she can see what he saw and like how she kind of ruined the day and he, i mean he says that's the best it got right she feels bad and and she realizes like okay this is this is kind of like my wake up call this moment because I fucked up a bunch of people's work, but also this is just embarrassing as well. Yeah, I'll, I'll withdraw that criticism, actually, because that first scene is, is really important to book in that last one. You're right. And I don't want to sound like I <laughs> I did not enjoy watching this movie. I really enjoyed it. But it brings me to my other criticism in a kind of a sideways way, which, sideways way, which is I don't think Dennis Quaid and Meryl Streep had very good chemistry at all, like romantic yeah. chemistry. Yeah, I think they were like actually completely flat. And maybe that's maybe that services the story, you know, to show that, you know, they're really not right for each other. But what really brought that into stark relief for me is she has such great chemistry with Gene Hackman in that last scene. Yes. I think that's yeah. the best scene in the movie. I, I would I agree. agree with you. So, you know, seeing them play off each other and then just like this these limp scenes between street even when they're fighting, it's like not even it doesn't seem like she's invested in it at all. And he's kind of putting on, it looks like a performance just for himself, which is fine, but, um, but it doesn't, those were like my least favorite scenes in the movie, basically, which is a bummer for the podcast topic. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I agree about their chemistry. I wish there had been more of like, even though dr dreyfus was creepy like i pumped your stomach here are these flowers like i i love richard <laughs> dreyfus also but like guy that's mm. i mean let's not forget the opening shot of him he wakes up in bed in boxer briefs with his legs splayed out open and one side of his boxers open enough that if he were not wearing some sort of undergarment under the boxers there's a lot you can see. <laughs> oh yeah, and, and yet she manages to have aids. no attraction to him the entire uh, the entire movie. Like even when when they're fighting and he's like he's just out of the shower and his shirt's like all open and everything. I'm just like, how are you mad at that? <laughs> what is happening? Oh, my God. Well, and also he was correctly cast in this, so you know what this yes. is. Hop on, hop off. Don't take it too seriously. Right. Uh, I like his performance by itself. I mean, this is another look like, I mean, when I was on last doing suspect, I, I was saying how this, you know, kind of calculating lobbyist was a new look for him, but it's still like a way for him to focus his charm. And here, like he's kind of like a snivelly entitled producer. And yet like the charm fountain is still like at full blast and <laughs> it really works. I mean, I think, yeah. but not with the two of them together. Like, it, it very much seems like he's playing the aftermath of life with the standard Dennis Quaid character. Like you get all the charm on day one, but this is what it's like dealing with him the next morning. Right. For the rest of your life. Like the same yeah. sort of like insidious narcissism that makes him magnetic in one moment is going to be the rationalization for him being a complete dipshit the next. So, yeah, I um, actually have a clip. If we want to skip ahead to clip four, here's Annette Benning, who is not on screen for long, but again, <laughs> 
What a so fucking funny. idiot star. <laughs> I just wanted a whole other spinoff movie about her. I and loved her, this scene. <laughs> I mean, again, only in one scene, but still. <laughs> Dennis Quaid is not on screen, but uh, the description, like this is just such good writing that is telling instead of showing but in the best possible way she really nails this guy in just a few sentences here's uh her and meryl talking about dennis quaid's patter he, he didn't give you his big walt whitman speech did he the, the one about genius i don't think so well see that's a good sign that's his standard pickup line that in the the big cambodian speech <laughs> oh, and the thing about smelling like Catalina, that I've heard. Well, it's not bad. One out of three. You're obviously getting some new stuff, which means he must like you. <laughs> and then shortly after that, she says she's only in it for the endorphin rush. <laughs> so good. Uh this character is like the perfect way to, as you said, John, focus Dennis Quaid's charm. Right. Um, and I think also you can't just cut the addiction storyline because the whole way that he comes back into the story is because he was, a, you know, irresponsible chode from, from the second that we saw it for a second we saw him. So. I mean, there's so much good stuff. Like like the line, like you smell like Catalina. It's so oddly specific and yet so very dumb. <laughs> it's yeah. like it, it really like helps sum up the character like so efficiently. It's really, really good work there. Yeah, yeah, he's a dummy. Like that's one of the first things we learn about him is that he he mixes up Rapunzel and Rip Van Winkle when he's like just waking <laughs> up in bed. It's it's weird to me that they made him a producer when he's so much an actor. Like yeah. this guy is an actor. Yeah, Sorry. He's behaving like talent for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And her, just like the way it's playing on her face that she's like, I, this is such horseshit, but it's Dennis Quaid. And I just yes. kind yeah. of want him to stop talking so that I will stop laughing and we can start fucking. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Even though they have no chemistry, she's really good, like beside him. Yeah. I don't know. The real star of this movie, though, in my opinion, is Shirley MacLaine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so many good lines. So many good wigs. <laughs> yep. I do not love that they, first of all, hand waved the fact that she wrecked her car while drunk. And second of all, that it was a vintage hardtop Mercedes coupe. I, I know, Tara, <laughs> that you felt me feeling that. But this scene where Meryl Streep has this like beautiful torch song moment and then it all goes the way it usually goes. This turn that Shirley McLean does in this uh, snippet is is really perfect. Here's clip two. Now Doris, Doris sing something. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Doris. Yeah. Well, this is my daughter's night. Come on. You think I should, really? Yes. Mm -hmm. All right. You sang for me, I'll sing for you. I'm still here in D flat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and then there's choreography, and then someone's Oscar is on a shelf in the shot the whole time. Who's? Yep. Who can say? Oh, it's just so good. It's such a perfectly realized, everything she does is perfectly realized. I just love this performance, and I love her. Yep. There's so much good acting in both of those songs, actually, in, in Suzanne's and and her mother's both. But yeah, it's it's including like when just Suzanne watching her perform because uh -huh. she's she can't she's undeniable, even though like she's so annoying, <laughs> like, tortures <laughs> yeah. her. It's like she's a genius. Like, I, you know, you can't not love to watch her work at the same time. It's, you know, it's lovely. Yeah. I feel like uh, during the pandemic, we can all be more open about how much we talk to ourselves. <laughs> but after I saw this, I was yelling out, it twirled up. <laughs> it twirled up. And then, Just yeah. At up. random intervals. <laughs> and her, and but it's not even the it twirled up. It's a, and you weren't wearing any underpants. And she's and just like, well, oh. like, well. <laughs> the well is really the, the, novel. the button of that scene. <laughs> so, so good. good. <laughs> 
And of course, they're fighting on a staircase. Um, another thing I enjoyed about this movie is the um, if you know, you know style commentary on life on a movie set and the kind of movie that has a million producers who keep popping up to let you know some things and extended mm-hmm. discussions about how an actress needs to stop eating. <laughs> She's like hiding in a clothing rack with her Fritos. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> I mean, Anthony healed just standing too close to her and that haircut. Oh my God. <laughs> he, what a star. But uh, here's Mr. Oliver Platt. <laughs> just being, just being the most theater directory guy you'll see clip three mm-hmm. i've been in the theater i'm actually a theater director Shh. sometimes certain line readings apply like in comedy it is a rule inflections go up at the end that's a comedy rule well, <laughs> not so much rule as guideline <laughs> you were so very very good in public domain i mean what did you do there thanks i'm rehearsed <laughs> I I just like to salute Oliver Platt for being in a scene with Meryl Streep where he has to give her character notes on delivery and she's mm-hmm. like that's a comedy rule <laughs> I mean it also yeah. shows like what another time it is when this quote low budget quote independent film has like trailers for everyone and like this huge sprawling set like um I don't know if that's how that works, really, but back then, maybe. Before Bonfire of the Vanities, which was another one that I was in the middle of the book when I saw the movie, and that really (laughs) went horribly for everybody. Yeah, that that killed it for... That That went horribly for an entire society, as I recall. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How universally reviled that movie was, God. Yeah. I I, I do want to say, like, just on his speech like that that to me that little like note is right up there with like comedy is tragedy plus time it is just so perfectly insipid like uh-huh. it just really nailed like when a dumbass thinks he's got a great idea and i just i i like that and then also we we hint, you hinted on um talking about her hiding in the clothing rack but like this is an all-time great constantly eating performance this is up there with <laughs> brad pitt in the oceans film yeah <laughs> oh yeah like I want, I wanted it to escalate. Like I was kind of hoping that it would. Like you know, sort of by the end, like you'd kind of pan over and she'd be eating like a really fucking huge party hoagie. Like Marge, <laughs> I want to be alone with a sandwich kind of thing. Like, <laughs> or like the bags of Fritos would just get progressively bigger until yeah. it was like Costco size, and then she has the th- remember three liter bottles. <laughs> She's yeah. got that in a teeny little. Oh, straw. they they still have them in Texas. Oh, of course they do. <laughs> I love too in the uh, the scene with Annette Benning when they're uh, you know everything about that scene is so great. She looks so cute. She's relaxed. Like her her, her movie prostitute look is really funny. <laughs> um, but uh, but they're also pedaconferencing during this conversation. Yep. So Aaron Sorkin, you didn't invent it. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's like fake snow on the ground, and like a centurion walks by at some point. Like, oh my god, it's just so fun. Like that wouldn't actually happen in this context. Or would it? I just, I loved it. Mm-hmm. This is one of the great inside baseball m- movies that I think doesn't get enough credit on that. Yeah. Score. Yeah. All right. I guess we should rate this bad boy and then talk about Dennis Quaid. But first, uh, Tara, I wanted to hear your casting notes. Oh, okay. Um, here they are. I, here are my alts for who could have played Suzanne instead of Meryl Streep. Terry Garr. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I went with people that were around the same age as, as Meryl Streep. Right. Karen Allen. Oh, yeah. Sure. And this is kind of maybe too on the nose, but I'm going to say it anyway. Margot Kidder. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so oh, that's yeah. that's my list. <laughs> people who were maybe more uh, believable as kind of scrappy or Carrie Fisher-esque types versus you know a patrician wasp like our friend meryl streep right yeah i mean one of the you know obviously you know we know that this was not meant to be like a straight a retelling of her life necessarily sure. but the thing the thing i always associate with carrie fisher almost more than anything else is energy mm-hmm. and i feel like this performance 
while not bad, certainly is very subdued in a way that is not reminiscent of her. Well, they took away her cocaine. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this was like from a phase in Meryl Streep's life or her career when she was, it seemed like she was trying to do more contemporary movies to be like, look, I'm a regular woman like this and heartburn. Same thing where Mm -hmm. she was like not really believable as a Nora Ephron (laughs) avatar either. I get wanting to take a break from being Sophie or the French lieutenant's woman or whatever (laughs) she was doing in Ironweed. You know, I get it. But like, you know, you have you have a lane like we have other people to do these things like do do what you do best, please. We that's what we want to see. The other question I had was uh, why was Simon Callow's character also named Simon? (laughs) (laughs) He's busy. Fair. (laughs) It's a whole extra word he has to memorize. Come on. <laughs> I have the honesty stone. <laughs> his his best performance still, in my opinion. Could not could not agree more. But <laughs> all right, shall we rate the film qua film? Totally. Yes. Yeah. All right, uh, John. Would you like to begin? Sure. Um, as I said, you know, there are a couple of things that bumped me, you know, even talking them through, I think, you know, I can see why they were included. Um, I note it, but I don't really, I'm not really bothered by the lack of chemistry between uh, Streep and Quaid. I think, you know, it works for the story um, and kind of legendary performances from uh, Shirley MacLaine and such. So I would, I would say eight. Okay. Tara. Out of 10, I would say nine. It's, it's really one of my all-time faves. Wow. All right. Yeah, I'm going to go nine because there were things that were bothersome in the abstract, but I did not check the, like, I didn't check the runtime really once, which I almost always do <laughs> when I'm watching something for work. So, I mean, nothing, it has flaws, but they weren't bothersome to me. So I'm going to say nine as well. Jeb? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and go eight as well, uh, just because, well, I mean, principally because like this features pumping somebody's stomach and everybody should have that done, by the way, at least once. <laughs> it's a wonderful experience. Um, anyway, I don't think my rating is that interesting. What was really interesting to me watching it was watching McLean and Street put on this clinic in, you know, in a movie that I was enjoying a ton and then wondering, like, why isn't this a classic? And I think it was because I was, you know, just watching with my contemporary eyes and watching Streep as more of an institution, because now it would be preposterous if she made a movie about strong mother daughter, female character relationships, and it wasn't taken seriously on those terms. But, you know, I, I guess this is just a movie that was, you know, maybe 20 years too mature for the society that was watching it because, like, you know, why aren't people quoting this all the time? My only quibble is really kind of along with John's, which is that I would have liked maybe a third kind of heat plot wise to maybe separate the fun shaggy dog stuff and the winking at Hollywood and to highlight some things with a little bit more stakes because it is so I mean, as it is like the the core and the weight of McLean and Streep is so great. And then the rest of the movie kind of feels like you could take or leave the scenes around it, which to its credit, this movie more or less gets away with. But I, you know, it would have been nice not to have it need to get away with as much. Uh, before we move on to Quaid, though, I just want to say if there it, two things. One is that in, in terms of this being a character study, I feel like there's there's a lot of times we watch a movie like this where there's it doesn't seem like it's really plot driven. And I think that's because a lot of stories like this are are now uh, TV shows. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Less, yeah, I think less that's than true. movies, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it's a situation where you just want to hang out with characters for a while, that's usually you know where they go these days. Which is overwhelmingly, I have to say, also what I felt when I watched Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where it's like, why isn't this a show? This is yeah. this isn't a movie at all. Yeah. A and B. Uh, if people enjoyed this. Uh, mother-daughter story light uh, escapade. I would also direct them to The Meddler starring Susan Sarandon and Rose Byrne from yeah. a few years ago. Mm. Um, it is currently on stars as we're recording this right now, but it, if, even if it has departed stars by the time you hear this, it's rentable in all of the usual places and it's 
so good. And it also stars everybody weirdly, um, <laughs> including our friend Sarah Baker, by the way. So it's uh, it's it's a real delight and another one that I've revisited many times. So just uh, giving a shout out to The Meddler from a pre-Hustlers Lorene Scafaria who wrote and directed. God, nice. Rose Byrne, what can't she do? <laughs> Honestly. Yeah, one of my only issues with this movie is that I don't think Gene Hackman was in it enough like True. when he was in it he was yep. perfect um you know dennis quaid's cv is a mile long so you know people sort of pop up there are like um light motifs of co-stars uh mm-hmm. gene hackman is back after that uh yikesy barbara streisand love triangle film <laughs> in which like he seemed to be giving a performance that was completely outside whatever was happening in the executive suite and it was charming he is once again very charming here and tara and i were inspired to have a whole conversation about his awesomeness (laughs) yeah i mean not to evangelize about that scene too too much but that was not only i think the best scene but also the most unexpected for me i Mm -hmm. mean he you know not just the turn of him like you know treating her nice but it's almost like it was quite fatherly the way he you know he dealt with uh he dealt with her and very very tender in just the right way. And you could tell she really appreciated it as much as she was, you know, as much as it hurt to face what she had done. It also mm-hmm. was like kind of the absolution she was looking for, I think. So mm-hmm. a million yeah. things happened in that scene that I just absolutely loved. So. Yeah. He, he, he doesn't totally let her off the hook, but he does sort of give her a path for right as well. I mean, not to mix metaphors, but you know what I mean? Like he, he's, She's she feels bad and he's like, yeah, that sucked. But, you know, now that we're here, this is this is <laughs> what you should maybe think about in terms of your future from here on now. So and he's also echoing the sort of the 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 drunk conversation they have when she comes back from um, from Dennis Quaid's place and, and Shirley MacLaine is up hammered and, and waiting for her where she says, you know, you were given all these things and look what you did with it. Yeah. Like, and, and the Hackman scene is sort of like the it realizes it without him having to put uh, to, to underline that and say, like, well, here was your opportunity and this was the best take we got. Yeah. But I have faith in you and that, it, you know, that you if you are going to make the most of your talent, then you're you will be worth the investment later on. And, and like all the other dads in the movie being completely absentee definitely mm-hmm. underlines that with the exception of the stepdad who has that like. Is he dead? Is he asleep? No, he's paying attention, like in the hospital, which is pretty good. Dads are so I, don't, I mean, that was so cheap, but they also earned it. Yeah. I mean, and that's a really tough balance to strike in this scene. And Hackman makes it look pretty cinchy. Like, yeah. it, it never sort there's a bunch of lines that it could cross where it could be like weird or lecturing, and it, it doesn't. He does yeah. it exactly the way it needs to be done. So. You you just never catch him acting. He's so good. We watched a movie with him over the holidays called The Package, Hold for Giggles, which we I'd never heard of before. It's from like 1987 or something, but it's for, by um the director was Andrew Davis, who also directed The Fugitive a few years later, but it's him and and Tommy Lee Davis and it's like an assassination plot thing and he's an army guy and Joanna Cassidy is his ex-wife. <laughs> like it was something where wow. it's like this happened it's on hbo max it was really good um i recommend it but it's it's another thing where it's like god what honestly what can't gene Hackman do <laughs> he's a genius i mean sarah mentioned another context that uh not here i think but that she's seen superman 2 an ungodly yeah. number of times as have mm-hmm. i <laughs> and a lot of it was due to gene Hackman for sure but and yeah, i'd like him. anybody listening to go to my geocities narrow margin fan page it's my favorite train thriller (laughs) maybe this should become a gene hackman podcast i mean the hack the the quade hackman theory maybe gene hackman should have a podcast (laughs) (laughs) yeah when i was watching this i was just like i just i hope he's having a good day like i know he is retired and i hope he's just enjoying life whatever he's doing I just want I just want the best for him always. <laughs> I hope he's beating the shit out of a motorist again. <laughs> oh. oh, is that something he did? I didn't yeah, know that. Some some guy like you know, he was in an accident and some guy like came up to him all like road raged out and Gene Hackman was like, 
sir, you need to calm down. And then, oh, okay. sir, I was a Marine and just knocked the guy the fuck down. <laughs> oh, okay. Good. He, it was someone who had it coming. Then yeah, that's fine. And, and like, and also somebody who was like a quarter century younger too. Great. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. All right. Well, th- this is a Dennis Quaid podcast, everybody. <laughs> For now. So, <laughs> so far, as far as you know. So, um, yeah, Quaid, Qua Quaid. Yeah, well, look, the chemistry is a problem. Here's clip five. And then you took my Derrida. Why? And then you fell fast asleep. Was I, am I, so completely unappealing to you? Quite the contrary. It's just that you were a little the worse or uh, better for substances and not... I have rules about that. <laughs> Didn't Jimmy Stewart say that to somebody in a movie once? Well, uh, if he did, then he darn sure should have. <laughs> Ooh. Jimmy Try Stewart harder. Imitations. Never good. <laughs> Couldn't believe that wasn't the intro clip. <laughs> yeah. This is a tough one for me, at least, to assess, because I think this is a very Dennis Quaidy role. But mm-hmm. I, I think you're not getting the full effect because Streep isn't quite Carrie Fishery enough. Yeah. I could have clipped this whole scene from the clip that we're about to hear because he is doing um, he's doing this um, almost crying tender voice that uh, Jeb and I just lived through <laughs> not as a joke and come see the paradise for two hours and it's like... I was laughing also at this. She, like, she's so good in the scene. He's really good at just giving her a line. But they're it doesn't work together. They're just, like, next to each other, like dolls. Anyway, mm-hmm. here's clip six. So you have feelings for me? Don't do this. I want to know, because I do for you. What? I have feelings. How many? More than two? I'm not gonna do this if you're gonna make fun of me. Promise? No, 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 I'm not, I'm not going to make fun of you. I am making fun of you. Sorry. I mean, yeah, I I do think you need a Margot Kidder, or just someone with a slightly less um, cool-toned energy for that line. But uh, he also has a rant later when he's confronted that it's like, you, you know, you're all so full of shit. You say that it's not the fact that I fuck around. It's that I lie about it. Well, it's both. I, I mean, it's just it's good writing and it's perfect for a guy played by Dennis Quaid. Mm-hmm. But he's actually not in the movie all that much. So I'm sort of struggling with where to rate this. Is anyone having anyone else having that problem? When I think about Quaid in his Quaidosity, like this is kind of the, not the Ur Quaid, but this is almost the Quaidiest I think he gets, really. <laughs> I agree. For, yeah. For me. Like, even when it turns out that he's like kind of a rapist, like it turns out he lied about. Yeah. Having, uh, ru- yeah. <laughs> unclear whether he was lying when he said he slept with her or he's lying when he says he didn't <laughs> like it, right. w- it, whether he was trying to you know w- whether he was lying that he'd said he did sleep with her in order to be spiteful like it's unclear whatever it is like there's a consent line that has been crossed and like it's it's icky and unpleasant like we don't want to think about it and then like that's their last scene together and she you know <laughs> makes him think that she's shooting at him with a prop gun and that feels appropriate as a punishment i mean maybe get a real gun i don't know but uh yeah he's he's like a scumbag your but solution he's... to everything <laughs> look she's a texan now she lives just... in texas now come on yeah i go with what works um look he's in an, a wide open shirt with nothing underneath like bare chested in two different scenes mm, really yeah. far apart i mean sporting a 32 pack yeah He's seducing her a lot. Uh, like, you know, this is this is what he was made for, I feel like. So if we're if we're rating him on a scale of like one to ten of quadosity, this has to be like a seven point five, at least for me. Yeah, I mean, I would say I think um, 
as I mentioned, I think okay. this is a, a different, it's a variant of his quaidosity. You know, the character is a little, a little goofier, a little more flamboyant, mm-hmm. you know, definitely, you know, like way narcissistic, but ultimately I think the fact that, uh, <laughs> the fact that the charm does not work well on Meryl's character is a statistical anomaly. It's not due to the quaidosity. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> You throw out the extremes and mm-hmm. keep the mean. I think this would work on just about anyone, and I would I would give it an eight on quaidosity. I think it's quite high. I mean, I think it does work off screen. I think we are meant to think that they do also consensually sleep together. Right. At yeah. the ranch. Right. I just yeah. meant in terms of a screen yeah. chemistry thing, basically. But. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. The ranch. No, I'm, I'm with you. I was actually thinking, I mean, because it is so intense, and it is, like, it's it's more almost, like, holistic quaid experience of like quaidosity because you're getting again like i said earlier the morning after and that more rounded out kind of sleaze if you want to phrase it that way but like mm-hmm. i think it's you know it's up at like an eight you know it's even though i mean it, it, if he'd been in more of the movie it might well have been a 10 i don't know the the impediment here isn't you know like you said john it's more it's less that he can't sell it it's that meryl isn't selling it and yeah. you do need somebody to kind of melt, you know, under the 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 intensity to convince you that it's working, I think. And so she's she's undercutting him, him not so much. I mean, this is what he's this is what he's a thoroughbred at, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give it an eight also. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to mark down for the fact that he should yeah. have been cast as another actor. Because I, I think that would have like slotted it a little more firmly. And also he doesn't have that much screen time. But if he were m- more of a lead and not supporting actor, then it would be like a nine yeah. and a half. But I yeah, mean, I, have to, an I have to kick it me. up to like an 8.5. Like, honestly, like the more we've talked about it, when I when I picture when someone says Dennis Quaid, I picture the shot of him standing on the lot with the house behind him getting like driven away. <laughs> <laughs> yes. that's that's dennis quaid yeah. in my mind palace so anything lower than 8.5 i feel like is unfair okay fair enough any other notes before i read us out did anybody ever tell you this podcast smells like the future <laughs> <laughs> i thought we smelled like catalina it smells like three liters of dr pepper everything's more hydrated in texas Next time on Quaid in Full, Wilder Napalm with guest Chris Collision. In the meantime, get your endolphin rush from our show notes and follow the podcast on Twitter at Quaid in Full Pod. Or get even more content at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Quaid in Full, where we promise not to speak in bumper stickers. Quaid in Full is hosted by Sarah D. Bunting and Jeb Lund and edited by Jeb Lund. Don't subscribe yet? We have rules about that, so go sign up wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review Quaid in Full so other people can find it. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Is that about everything? Anybody else want to be arrested or killed before we wrap this fucker?